Hello, I'm Eric Holderman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews and commentaries about all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. This podcast is being sponsored by Dynamis, a leading provider of information management software and security solutions. You can find them at dynamis.com. Welcome to the Disaster Zone podcast. My guest today is Kurt Bailey, president and CEO of Bloodworks Northwest. And we'll be talking about our blood supply in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, welcome, Kurt, to the podcast. Thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. And Kurt, I, I learned about Bloodworks Northwest back when I was King County uh, Office of Emergency Management Director, but it's really surprising. So uh, the extent of your operation. So what's the geographical scale of your Bloodworks Northwest? You know, who's served? Um, and uh, it's interesting that you exist Normally, people think about the American Red Cross as handling the blood supply, but here uh, you are. So a little bit of background, how Bloodworks Northwest came into being and is here versus the Red Cross. So yeah, kind sure. of multi-pronged question. Well, there's some history in here too. But before I get into that, I think it's uh, really amazing that in our country, we have um, this infrastructure that allows us every day to collect thousands and thousands and thousands of units of blood. And then they get uh, shipped to hospitals and they get put in other human beings, all as part of their treatment for a whole array of diagnoses, cancer, surgery, transplant, a whole variety of things. And this happens day in, day out with great reliability. Well, it goes back to 1944 in the case of Bloodworks, where we were founded, our organization was founded um, in the midst of World War II, out of fears that there could be uh, Japanese bombing on the West Coast that would cause mass casualties, and we ought to have blood on hand in order uh, to be able to care for folks uh, hurt by that if it happened. And so the Puget Sound Blood Center was created in 1944. And then um, in 1947, um, after the war was over, there was a dreadful industrial accident where a shipload of, I believe it was uh, ammonium nitrate exploded in a harbor in Texas, and there were 500 deaths or so. And President Truman uh, got on TV, I suppose, and radio, and said, every community will have a blood center. And so around the country, other blood centers began to form. And that was the beginning of um, the network of blood centers that now provide 60% of the nation's blood supply. Um, the Red Cross provides about 40% as well, and we get the robust total. Um, so for Bloodworks, we've been operating ever since then, but um, over time, we've just gotten a little bit bigger. And so now we stretch from the Canadian border all the way down um, Western Washington to uh, the border with Oregon, and then we keep going south all the way to a little bit south of Eugene, Oregon. So we cover an area with roughly 8 million people or so in Western Washington, Western Oregon, and we supply virtually every hospital uh, in that region. And on occasion when we have extra blood and other 
hospitals in the country need it, we'll ship blood to them too. Okay, so I'm, it's, you know, blood is such an important element of health and especially in surgeries. Um, uh, we talked earlier about how cancer and uh, childbirth, uh, all these things uh, have requirement for blood. So it's, it's an essential aspect of our modern society today. It sure is. Um, one in five or six Americans will get a blood transfusion in their lifetime. So if you think about that, someone in your immediate family is likely to need blood someday. Um, about a third or so uh, of blood goes to cancer patients. And um, as we had talked about together previously, we've seen in the last decade a market increase in the incidence of postpartum hemorrhaging where moms are bleeding out in delivery. And we don't know why, but we wanna make sure that we have the product available for them. And then of course there's transplant, there's bleeding trauma, there's GI bleeds, traumatic brain injury. All these things require blood. And so, you know, besides blood collection, there's other services uh, you provide beyond that. What, what is that? We do, we, Woodworks um, is a really remarkable organization and, um, what we do on our community is provide a set of services with a high degree of, of expertise and some scale that, that might be hard for other hospitals to all replicate by themselves. So that's a really good thing. For instance, we do all of the compatibility testing for solid organ transplantation in the four transplant centers in Seattle. And so um, roughly twice per day, we'll do workups um, in order to support a solid organ transplant. It will match blood type, we'll match, uh, we'll do the HLA typing for the organ, and we'll make sure that that transplant chain matches that donor with that recipient. Um, we also provide uh, what's called uh, transfusion medicine services, and that is direct support for hospitals in how patients get transfused, what's the exact right product for that patient given their, uh, their blood type and other factors, and we provide the clinical guidance, actually our physicians, to those care teams around what products should go uh, for those patients. We also do a lot of other testing, and that testing work uh, in some cases is to support blood collection and distribution. We test for infectious disease, for example, in every, blood, uh, every, uh, every donation we receive. But we also do testing for other customers too, like the U US military uh, around blood. And then, um, an area where Bloodworks is uh, expanding is what we call specialized uh, cellular collections. And these are cells or parts of the blood that are increasingly important in uh, researching new treatments. So immunotherapy, where you harness the body's own immune response, uh, you harness the body's uh, immune cells in order to be able to fight uh, disease well, all the research into this new field of immunotherapy requires uh, what we call source material, and we provide those cells uh, to those research teams. Yeah, way, way beyond the whole idea of going down and giving a, a pint of blood, right? You've got a lot <laughs> going on beyond what I ever imagined. So, but, you know, there's an issue with blood. It, it, you know, does it last forever? How, how long can blood be stored? And what are supply issues related to storage? Well, it, you know, it really comes down to two different, um, two different types. 
well, I should back up. A lot of people think, well, I donate blood. Um, is that what goes into a patient? And, and the answer is actually no. So the blood you donate, if you donate whole blood, that gets separated into components. And so the plasma gets separated out from the red cells, gets separated out from the platelets. And um, patients receive one of those. They don't generally receive the whole blood, they receive a component. Well, plasma can be stored for a really long time. So that one's easy. Red cells can be stored for 45 days. So managing the inventory in our community of red blood cells um, has its challenges, that is true. And in the pandemic, we've had to be really careful to carry a little more inventory than usual because we just weren't sure what, what punch the pandemic was gonna throw at us next. And it's certainly thrown some punches. And so we wanted to be able to adapt to that if there was any pressure on the blood supply. The component that's really tricky is the platelets because those are only five to seven days in storage. And uh, in that case, um, maintaining the platelet um, inventory is a daily dance. And so every day we're checking, you know, are we at healthy levels given that um, these only last on the shelf for a short period of time? And then we react very quickly to bring donors in if we ever uh, become concerned that we fall below, fall short on these platelets that perish so quickly. Okay. Uh, it, it's, as you've been talking, a pretty complex system there. So what about this aspect of the just-in-time delivery system we live in yeah. uh, today? I, uh, if I recall, back in history, hospitals would have a bigger supply of blood, and that's not necessarily true anymore. Yeah. Well, you know, information technology allows us to understand the inventory position better than, you know, 50 years ago when everything was on paper. Um, we have a really robust transportation network where we can move product up and down our interstates. Um, and conceivably, we can move product in partnership with other blood centers by air across the country. So we do have really more robust communications and logistics infrastructure than we ever have had before. And that allows inventories to be compressed a little bit in lots of industries, including blood. The, the challenge we have is just always being a little bit mindful of um, not every day is predictable. And when a curveball comes your way, a pandemic or a mass casualty event, you know, do you have a robust enough inventory and do you have a collection and distribution system that is resilient enough to be able to accept that shock and not pass it on in the form of shortages to the patient? And that's what we endeavor to do at Bloodworks. Okay. So um, let's say there's a big disaster. I'm, I was thinking about the uh, very unfortunate Las Vegas uh, mass shooting that happened, uh, a lone gunman type thing. Well, there you know, scores of people injured, many died. I'm sure the blood supply was really uh, taxed there. So people came out to donate blood. How quickly can you turn around a donation so it's available? Right. So in our, um, for an acute event, like a mass casualty event, um, we have stocks in multiple places. So there's stocks at the hospital, and then there's um, stocks in our um, central site in Renton, Washington. And then um, we have uh, blood that's flowing in from our collection sites. 
So in the event that there's a lot of patients that need blood, say at one of our trauma centers, or one of our trauma centers like Harborview, um, we will start to push blood to that center. And, and we even have some blood positioned nearby as an auxiliary, just in case. At the same time, the blood that's been collected during the day is coming into our testing and processing facility in Renton. And that's gonna get turned around. It's gonna get um, separated into components. Components are all gonna get tested. They're gonna get labeled and they're gonna be ready for distribution um, very, very late in the evening, early the following morning. And so we can do a uh, 24 hour or better turnaround on a new donation. So what okay. that means is when we have a shooting, um, for example, or some other horrid mass casualty event, we can keep um, the blood flowing into those trauma centers where it's needed pretty effectively. And the community always turns out to donate more when those horrid events occur. Okay. Well, it's great to know that you're prepared for these uh, types of uh, events. What we're going to do right now, folks, is take a quick break and we'll be right back. This podcast is being sponsored by Cobra, an emergency management software solution. Cobra provides a cloud-based EOC software that is intuitive, collaborative, and affordable. Visit cobrasoftware.com. And today, here on the Disaster Zone podcast, we're talking to Kurt Bailey, the President and CEO of Bloodworks Northwest. We've talked about the blood supply and the history uh, of the organization, uh, scale, scope, the complexities, a lot. We've got some more things to touch on. One, which I, Kurt, I'd like to have you share what safety measures are used to protect the blood supply. And I'm, I'm old enough to remember the AIDS epidemic and people were very concerned about, um, you know, people with AIDS donating blood and then uh, infecting other people, but that's not the only issue. Um, so what's done uh, to protect the blood supply yeah. itself? So our, um, all of our work is governed by the FDA. And the FDA uh, has a very stringent set of requirements to ensure that to the best of everybody's scientific knowledge and ability, the blood supply is safe and there's no uh, transfusion transmission of a pathogen, meaning you can't get infected by someone's blood being transfused into you as a patient. So the FDA um, working in concert with the blood centers um, develops a series of tests for known pathogens that we can test for. And um, HIV is one, um, hepatitis for example, another, you know, more recently in the last several years, uh, testing for Zika. And all of that testing is done um, as a requirement. And we do it on all of our blood, you know, at our Renton facility. In the case of the coronavirus, your listeners might be curious, the coronavirus um, isn't transmitted through transfusion. And of course, COVID, you know, SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus for COVID-19, isn't the only coronavirus um, that humanities uh, come in contact with. But there's never been any global case of a coronavirus transmission through blood transfusion. It just okay. doesn't transmit that way. All right, that, that's reassuring. 
So, you know, people listening to this, they may be thinking, uh, well, do I have a role to play? What, you know, what could individuals do within their community, wherever they're hearing this? And that there's a national and even international aspect to uh, people who listen to the Disaster Zone podcast. So um, what can they do? I mean, is there any risk to donors for going and, and uh, donating blood? How long does it take? Maybe people are thinking, well, I don't want to be tied up forever doing something um there's no risks to donating it's a very safe very safe procedure um during COVID-19 we adapted our operations so um lots of social distancing um all of the cleaning and masking protocols of course um we have appointments only to meter the inflow and outflow of donors so it's never crowded um, and, and because our, you know, workers are um, essential healthcare workers, you know, they're now being vaccinated. So it's a very safe, uh, it's a very safe thing to do. And in fact, um, we haven't had a single case of uh, known staff or donor transmission of COVID-19 in the workplace. Um, right. And we've actually validated that with our staff through antibody testing. So it's a very, very safe environment. Um, if you donate whole blood, you know, the whole thing takes about a half an hour. Uh, you come on in, you register now using your smartphone. <laughs> so that got a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like getting your boarding pass for an airline flight. Um, and you walk in and it only takes a moment or two before you're uh, comfortably seated and um, you're starting your donation. And then for whole blood, uh, you know, it varies. Um, my record is right around five minutes to do a donation. Uh, really okay yeah. uh and uh then after that i don't think up. it's flowing it sounds like it's being sucked out of you <laughs> in five minutes it's off to the juice <laughs> and cookies after that and um you know the truth is i i like to donate um in part of course because i'm i'm doing a good thing for humanity get to save someone's life um but i actually find the bloodworks phlebotomists who who um do the blood draw to be just wonderful engaging interesting people and it's just fun to go have a chat right it's a good experience. okay well let's talk a little bit more about the pandemic um i remember seeing blood mobiles parked outside of uh government buildings or companies would have a blood drive day and that certainly now many employees that used to be in offices are now dispersed at home and so that type of opportunity uh has not existed for most of um, 2020 and now we're here we're going into 2021 so um, what have you done to try and meet the demand uh, for blood while you know your donor base has all shifted to working from home in many instances yeah so uh, pre-pandemic um, about two-thirds of our blood was collected through our mobile blood drive program, which was at schools and churches and businesses and so on. And sometimes it was inside, sometimes it was in a blood bus, uh, but the pandemic rendered all of that either unsafe or unproductive because there was no one in the school or there was no one at the business, uh, as you say. And then, you know, you can't social distance on a blood bus and you can't social distance if you're cramped in, you know, in some cramped uh, setting. So we canceled the whole program, but now of course we had 
two thirds of our donations dried up. And so we needed to do something pretty fast. The public uh, responded wonderfully and a lot of people started coming into our fixed donor sites of which we have about a dozen in Western Washington and Western Oregon. But the big innovation for us was what we call the pop-ups. And uh, pop-up donor centers are set up for days or weeks or months at a time in a really terrific venue that has a lot of space. Um, generally, they're venues that are not uh, being fully used because of the pandemic. And we can um, set up our, our equipment, donors can come in, so great social distancing. We can stay there for multiple days so we don't have to do our setup center teardowns. It's very productive. But the magic of it is it's in a place donors wanna go to. Well, what kind of places are those? Well, it's T-Mobile Park where the Mariners play. It's Lumen Field where the Sounders and the Seahawks play. It's Providence Park down in, in Portland. It's uh, the Museum of Flight, the Boeing Museum of Flight or the Paramount Theater. And it's all these venues, these cultural venues where uh, they can't run their normal operations, but they open up their facilities so we can set up a multi-day uh, blood center. We love it, public loves it. Uh, the um, generous institution like the Mariners or the Sounders or uh, the Boeing Zima flight, um, they get to do something else for the community and get hopefully a little bit of, of uh, publicity out of it. And it's just been a win all the way around. Okay. So our audience goes way beyond the, the Puget Sound region and Oregon, but why don't you provide your website just in case somebody's locally here and uh, is interested in donating. Uh, our website is bloodworksnw.org. So bloodworksnw.org. And when you get to that landing page, there'll be a, a, a red box and it says donate. You click on donate and that'll bring you to the donation portal. And you can put in your city name or you can put in your zip code. And then from there, you'll get a listing of all our fixed sites and all our pop-up sites where you could donate blood. And, um, you know, while of course, um, you have an international or national audience. One thing for folks to realize is that at least in the Northern hemisphere, uh, donations drop in the wintertime. It's just harder for people to get around. And so if you um, were thinking about donating, you know, hadn't made your appointment yet, now's a good time because there is nationally um, a need for blood. And so if you're um, eligible to donate, your gift will be very well received. Yeah, on the news last night, I saw a horrific, um, highway, interstate highway collision with multiple uh, semis. I think there were five deaths out of that. Uh, you know, scores of vehicles just crushed. That's so those types of things can happen almost any time, and especially in the, in the winter uh, in inclement conditions. Well, before we let you go here, Kurt, I, I would like to know more about treatments and providing supply for actually treating uh, coronavirus and that you have a COVID-19 conv uh, convalescent plasma. So explain what that is and how that's being used. And yeah. Well, um, the coronavirus, which leads to COVID-19, um, has been really a horrible, a horrible virus and a horrible um, impact on lives and livelihood. And we don't have a lot in the medical toolkit to combat it. There are not a lot of treatments uh, to combat the coronavirus. Well, one of them, as it happens, 
um, is a very old idea of harnessing the immune system of somebody who's recovered from COVID-19. And in this case, if um, a patient is infected by the virus, their body's going to produce antibodies and those antibodies are what help them fight that virus. And after they've recovered, those antibodies are still circulating in their system. They're circulating in the blood. And um, if those antibodies are removed from that recovered patient, it now is part of a plasma unit called convalescent plasma. And um, that plasma can, get, can then be transfused into a patient currently fighting the virus to give them a boost of those antibodies. And those antibodies are the same from one person to another. And so they're um, proven to be effective um, in the early studies in reducing the severity and the mortality uh, of COVID-19. So nationally, uh, well over 500,000 units of convalescent plasma have been transfused. And Bloodworks Northwest has done its part from the very inception of that program to collect uh, plasma from patients who have fully recovered from COVID-19. Um, and then um, that donation gets used here in our region. And in some cases, we ship it to patients all over the country who are fighting this deadly virus. Okay. Well, that's, you know, just tremendous news to know, you know, like say there aren't many treatments, but that's one and you, you guys in the blood supply business are doing uh, your part. Um, I'm just thinking about here we are in uh, a new set, relatively new century. I'm just wondering if we'll ever get to virtual blood donation. I don't know how that would happen, but you never know, it, it could. So uh, this brings us to the close of our program today. Thanks to Kurt Bailey, CEO of Bloodworks Northwest for coming on Disaster Zone, sharing uh, what you and your organization have been doing to protect our regional community and what other blood centers across the world are doing. Well, thank you, Eric. It was a pleasure to be on the podcast today and uh, I appreciate that very much. And for you at home, think about what you can do to help others during this pandemic. Uh, no matter where you live, consider becoming a blood donor. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.